Life is filled with moments, and to help encourage powerful moments with the Lord each and every day, Dr. David Jeremiah has written a new book called Moments with God. This beautiful year-long devotional makes a wonderful companion to your personal Bible study. When you give a generous gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, you'll receive a Moments with God devotional four-pack, one for you and three to share. Donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Etched in stone by God's own hand, the Ten Commandments are usually seen as rigid and restrictive rules. In reality, they're more like a love letter. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains how the Ten Commandments are less like ironclad limitations and more like a loving expression from the Creator. Here's David to introduce his message, God Carved His Love in Stone. Friends, you've never heard what I'm going to say before, probably, and I actually have never thought of it before I wrote it and studied it. I've always thought about the commands of God as simply restrictions God placed upon His people, uh, and never the fact that these were, these were words of love from our Creator. We're going to talk about that. Every one of the Ten Commandments will be mentioned uh, today and on Monday, and we'll show you how the love of God is just demonstrated in each one of them. It will change your perspective on the Ten Commandments, I promise you, and perhaps even make it possible for you to give thanks to God for His rules. His rules are not to uh, restrict us, to protect us and help us and make us achieve everything he has for us. And we'll talk more about that as we get into the message today. When I wrote the foreword to Nancy DeMoss's book, Heaven Rules, I, I told a little story about walking down the hallway here at Turning Point and going past a door that had the letters HR on it. Because uh, in her book, Heaven Rules, she kind of talks about HR, Heaven Rules. And I said, you know, that kind of gives you the opportunity to make the decisions you make. You either have human resources, which is what's on the door here in our office, or you have heaven rules. you got to make a choice. Do you want to make it your human resources and do it your way, or do you want to realize heaven rules and do it God's way? Just a little um, little interest uh, getter for you to get this book. And you get the book by sending a gift to Turning Point during the month of January Send a gift of any size, do the best you can, and help us get through this inflationary time with strength and not weakness. We want to send this book to you because we know it will be a blessing to you. As soon as I read it, I went to the people who select our resources and said, Nancy DeMoss's book has got to be on that list. Let's get this to the people who listen to us. I hope you'll get your copy, simply to do, send a gift, and ask for it, and we'll send it to you right away. Okay, here is um, God carving his love in stone, the Ten Commandments seen through the glasses of the love of God. Several years ago, I was witnessing to a young man and trying to tell him how wonderful it was to be a Christian, and I wasn't making very good headway. Uh, He was on to a lot of things that were wrong with being a Christian, and one of the foremost was, uh, in his words, it's just a bunch of silly rules that come from a tyrant God to take the fun out of life and make you miserable, so why would I want that? Now, these words from this young man seem to capture the attitude that a lot of folks have today about the Christian faith. 
One of the first things that they put forward as an excuse for not wanting to be a Christian is all of the rules and regulations. And that starts usually with their identification of the Ten Commandments. But what if the Ten Commandments weren't what they say they are? What if the Ten Commandments, instead of being a list of rules to ruin your life, were principles from Almighty God to help you be successful in life? So in this message, in this series, God loves you, he always has, and he always will. I want to talk with you about how God carved his love in stone. And I want you to walk with me through the Ten Commandments. Together we'll discover that each commandment only makes sense when we see it in light of God's love. We'll come to realize that God has indeed carved his love in stone. And we will look for God's love in every single rule. I promise you, you won't have to look hard. We begin in the first three verses of Exodus chapter 20 with the first commandment, which I have called the fundamental rule. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, we call this the fundamental rule not only because it's first, but also because it's kind of a summary of all of the other rules in the list of ten. And like all the rules that follow, this commandment is an expression of God's love for his people. Listen to the endearing way in which God addressed his people through Moses. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. As you read the narrative that leads up to the giving of the Ten Commandments, you sense that these commandments were given by God in a time of great love in his heart for his people. For instance, when Moses got to the top of Mount Sinai to receive the commandments, God reminded him of the kindness and the love that had been shown to his people. In Exodus chapter 19, just a chapter back, in verses 3 and 4, we read these words. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Even before he gives the commandments to his people, God tells Moses to remind them of his great love for them in the past and his continued watch over them during their redemption. God did not give these commandments to the people of Israel to hurt them. He did not give these commandments to them because he was angry with them. He gave the Ten Commandments out of his loving heart. Later, as Moses returned from the mountain with the two tablets of stone in his hands, God referred to himself in Exodus 34 like this. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Let's stop for a moment and think about this. Israel had just come out of Egypt where they had been for 400 years. Egypt was an idolatrous land. That means it was full of idols. They were on their way to Canaan, which was even more idolatrous than was Egypt. And God in his love is warning them, you shall have no other God before me. 
when he made that statement to his people, the implication was clear. Listen to this. If you will have no other gods, you can have me. If you will not embrace other gods, you can have the God. But if you try to have other gods, you will not have me. For God will not share his glory with anyone. Now, this first commandment seems a little bit strong. And uh, we may ask this question. Why can we not have other gods but one? Why does God have to be the only God? That seems a little bit selfish on his part. First of all, he's the source of absolute truth, and he alone holds the key to eternal salvation. Secondly, he is absolutely giving and totally unselfish. Thirdly, he made us. He alone knows what makes us tick. He has the power to heal us. He has the power to provide for our needs. He has the power to answer our prayers. Other gods, quote unquote, are either lifeless, empty idols that are not capable of helping anyone, or they are actually demons who destroy the worshipers who gather around them. God says, don't get messed up with the other things. Give your loyalty and your attention to me. The fundamental rule says, you must have only one God. I must be your only God. And you say, well, that doesn't affect me. Just stop for a moment and think. It very well could. You see, it was the love of God that caused him to limit the worship of his people to himself alone. If he had not done that, he would have turned them loose in this land of Canaan to a pantheon of lifeless idols that were totally incapable of helping them at all. The most unloving thing God could ever have said to his people at this moment in time was, Worship whoever you want. No, God told them, you're going into a land where you're going to see lots of people claiming that they have other gods, but there really is only one God. If you want to know joy in your life, and if you want to feel my love in your experience, put God not just one among many, but put him first. Put him at the core of your life, the fundamental rule. That's followed by the focus rule. Now, the focus rule is also about our relationship with God. Notice what it says in verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, get this straight. The first commandment teaches us that we have to worship the right God. The second commandment teaches us that we have to worship the right God in the right way. And the right way, get this, to focus our attention on God is through hearing and not through seeing. This commandment is pointedly clear. All idols are forbidden in the world created by God. They are not to be fashioned after anything in the heavens or anything on the earth or anything under the earth. Nothing is to be used to attract the eyes in order that it might seduce the soul. Well, why was this important? <laughs> Just remember the history of this whole period of time. Moses hadn't come down off the mountain before the Israelites had created a God. And they created a God, and in this God they said, This is your God, O Israel. In other words, they wanted something they could touch and feel and see, and they created an idol, and it 
cost them dearly. It says here in the final words of the second commandment that the iniquity of the fathers are visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation. If you get yourself involved in idolatry, it says it has a long fuse on it. (laughs) This is not so much that children are punished because of their parents' sins, but they are punished by their parents' sins. The wrong that parents do to themselves when they disobey God is a wrong that can leave a lasting legacy. How many of you know there's a terrible contagion about sin? Sin never is done in isolation. It always touches others. Commandment number one is the fundamental rule. Commandment number two is the focus rule. Commandment number three is the frivolous rule. Watch this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, you live in the real world, and I do too. It's impossible to live in the world today without listening to the Lord's name being taken in vain. Isn't that true? In fact, I have to tell you, it hurts my heart when I hear someone exclaim, Jesus Christ, in a curse word. Or even worse, when I hear someone use the word God and then put the word damn next to it. I grew up believing that the expressions like that are against this commandment. This commandment says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And... That's part of what this commandment says we ought not to do. But it's really not at the core of what the commandment means. Listen to this. The closest modern parallel to the intent of the third commandment is found in the courtroom. A witness places his hand on the Bible and he swears to tell the truth. So help me God. Then if the witness commits perjury and lies, he has used God's name in vain. In other words, the oath he took was empty, meaningless, and worthless. So the warning in the third commandment is this. Don't use me as your backup, as your collateral in an oath if you don't have any intention to keep in your word. Don't involve me in a lying scheme that will defame who I am. It's as if God is saying, I love you enough not to let you trivialize who I am. Because when you trivialize me, you trivialize yourself. Because you are created in the image of God. So the commandment here is don't become frivolous with the name of God. And let me just say, we do that. We slip into that in our culture today, don't we? You want to make somebody believe that you're telling them the truth? You say, so help me God. Don't do that. Don't use his name in frivolous ways like that. His name is above every name. And one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess the name of Jesus. Keep the name of Jesus where it belongs in a place protected for his honor and his holiness. Commandment number four is the frailty rule. This is an interesting one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who's within your gates, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he hallowed it. Did you know that the Pharisees came up with 1,521 things you couldn't do on the Jewish Sabbath? Included on that list were the following. You could not rescue a drowning man. 
You could not wear false teeth since they might fall out and you would have to put them back in, which would constitute work. You could not look in a mirror since you might see a white hair and be tempted to pluck it. Again, work. If a man was sick, you could take steps to keep him from getting worse, but you could not take any steps to help him get better because that would be work. While man turned the Sabbath into a burden, that was never God's intention. The Pharisees took the Sabbath law and they created a whole cult out of it, which is still active today in many respects. The Sabbath was to be a holy day, a day set apart for rest, a day for refreshment. Actually, the word Sabbath does not mean seventh so much as it means rest. That's what the word means, rest. And listen to what it says here. Six days you shall work. That's in the commandments too. That, that's a good one. That kind of gets passed over in the Sabbath law. God is just as interested in us working and during the week as he is taking us the day off. But he says, he worked for six days, creating the heavens and the earth, and then he rested as an illustration to us that we need to rest as well. You say, well, the Sabbath isn't in operation for us today. That's true. We have moved our day of rest from the seventh day to the first day. You say, why did we do that? We did it because in the early church, the first day became the day of worship in honoring the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the time you get to the 20th chapter of Acts, you see the disciples coming together on the first day of the week. They're coming together to worship, to break bread, and to listen to the word of God. And by the beginning of the second century, the Lord's Day, which is mentioned in Revelation chapter 1, was the day after the Jewish Sabbath. It was Sunday. We were in Israel over the Sabbath. It's a really strange place to be if you've never experienced the Sabbath. They actually have an elevator in all the hotels called the Shabbat elevator. I don't even know how to explain to you what that's about, but you can't ride it. And if you're a Gentile and you want to go to a certain floor because you can't push the buttons because that's work and you can't work on the Sabbath. Still haven't figured out how that works, but it does. So the Bible simply says this and take what you want to out of it. I'm not going to get into a long discussion about the seventh day versus the first day. It's just historically true. In fact, in the third century, Sunday was verified as the day of worship and there's never been a Sunday since that was verified in the third century where somebody hasn't been worshiping God on Sunday as unto the Lord. But the principles of the Sabbath are good principles for us to observe, aren't they? How many of you know we've trashed Sunday in our culture? I come down the highway here to come to church every morning on Sunday and by the time I get ready to come to church, which is pretty early, the park down here where they play baseball and Little League is jam-packed with cars and people everywhere. I can pretty much promise you nobody in that group's going to church. If you have kids or grandkids that are playing Little League, they almost have to give up some Sundays because they always have picture day on Sunday. They always have the promoting days on Sunday. There's almost like a war out there to destroy our day of worship. Every major sporting event, everything. And it's really, really difficult to stay strong in saying, I want to honor the Lord on the day that belongs to him. You say, well, what should we do on Sunday? Well, enjoy it. Don't get caught up in the legal. Is it all right for us to play ball? Absolutely. Is it all right to watch TV? But allow your Sunday to be a time to refresh your spirit and then find a way to serve God. God gives you Sunday as a gift. Give it back to him in some way. Use Sunday as an opportunity to honor the Lord. How desperately in this ragged edge culture do we need a regular day to set aside our labors 
God's gift to us in the fourth commandment is a gift of love. Do your work, but take a day to rest so that you'll be strong. The fundamental rule and the focus rule and the frivolous rule and the frailty rule, the first four commandments. And that's the end of the first section of the commandments because those four commandments all have to do with our worship of God. Now, the next six have to do with our relationships with each other. And so the fifth commandment, we will call that the family rule. Notice what it says. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. This fifth commandment is the family commandment. And we begin the second section of the Decalogue with this commandment. And in the New Testament, this commandment is repeated by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. Listen to these words. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, we often hear this commandment given to parents who have young children. And they are said, okay, teach your children to obey their parents. That's all good and well. But when we are told to honor our parents, we are not being told something that has to do with young children and parents. This has to do with us as we get older, and it's an instruction about how we are to care for our parents as they get beyond the ability to care for themselves. We are to honor our parents, lest our children dishonor us. The family rule is the only rule in all ten of those rules that has a promise attached to it. Did you see what the promise is? When Paul quotes this, he draws attention to this promise. The fifth commandment says that children are to honor their parents that your days may be long upon the earth which the Lord your God has given you. And Paul's quotation of this is slightly different, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, somebody said, is this an ironclad rule? Does this mean that every son and every daughter who honors their parents will have long life? I know you're already researching in your mind thinking of people you know who treated their parents like, you know, gods almost, and they went to heaven early. So this is not an ironclad promise. It's a general rule operating of a general principle, not an absolute rule without exception. It seems, however, to be saying this. Listen carefully. That if you honor your parents and provide a long life for them, usually you yourself will have a long life. And that's interesting in this culture in which we live today. And I hope I'm not getting in any trouble with any of you because you may have just done something that you feel is in violation of this. But once again, this command from God is a reflection of his love for us. Why does he give us this command? So that we might live, so that we might not be weighed down or taken captive by bitterness, so that we may not come to destruction, so that we might enjoy God's good gifts to us through the days of our lives. The Lord is saying this, would you do this? Would you honor the father and mother that I gave you? And if you do, I will honor your life. I will bless your life and I will extend your life because I love you. However, I must warn you that if you violate this command, it will affect the whole fabric of your life. And every day we see evidences of that, don't we? What a wonderful thing to see people who have walked with God and loved God and accepted his love for them throughout their lives. Uh, I have some contemporaries like that that I treasure, people that I know who 
They're just models of what it means to walk with God. They're not perfect. None of us are. But they're so so wonderfully holy and godly. They, They sort of hold up the standard and say, it's all right. Be like me. I don't want to ever say that because I could never say that. But, you know, it's a wonderful thing to know that God has put into place some fences and protections for us to help us live the good life. Much rather live like that than the way people live when they violate his love. And we see the evidences of it everywhere. Well, uh, Monday, we will finish up this uh, very interesting topic of God's carving his love in stone. Next Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll talk about God loving and never quitting. Uh, And in the messages on Thursday and Friday, we're going to talk about how God wrote his love in red. These messages will help you appreciate what God has done for you. You can get the book upon which this series was based by going to our website. There's a study guide for it, too. And there you will find out how to get it. Maybe you want to do a Bible study on the love of God. Well, get the book, get study guides for all your participants. You can also get the DVD or the CD package, and you're ready to go. Meantime, have a great weekend, and we'll see you right here on Monday. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will. Visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Heaven Rules by Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth. And learn to find comfort and courage in this chaotic world. This powerful book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue, God loves you, he always has, he always will, here on Turning Point. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. A teacher asked her class, What is a father? One boy raised his hand and said, A father is a person who carries pictures in his wallet in the place where he used to have money. Maybe that young man had seen his father's wallet change over the years. 
No doubt about it, raising children costs a lot of money. But I've never met a father who would rather have a few more dollars than his children. God is a heavenly father who knows all too well the cost of having a son. So fathers can look to him for guidance and understanding. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's love for fathers on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.